All right, let's go. I hope it's the last one that I sent, the very last one. Good. So I sent so many PowerPoints to him. Sent one 10 o- last night. I sent one 11. Sent one 6 this morning. So it's all tells you everything. So, <laughs> all right. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning <clears throat> to look into your words. We ask that your spirit will guide my words, that they will bring glory to you, and that we, our hearts will be stirred to worship, to appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ for his sacrifice. I pray that sinners, those who don't know the Lord, will be converted, and believers will be stirred to worship and to honor the Lord. I pray that he alone will be exalted in all that is said and done. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are back to this topic, which uh, I started the last time, Jesus' trials. I realized that some people were not here when we spoke about it the first time. But hopefully, I have some of the highlights from the previous uh, thing. My editor was telling me, you spoke about this the last time. Why are these there? I said, because some people were not there the last time, so you need the highlights. I have editor. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's plow on. This is a song that I like very much. As I said, the last time I learned this song here in North America. And I like the way it starts. It says, king of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget, thy thorn crown brow lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget, Gethsemane, lest I forget thy love for me. Lest I forget thine agony, lead me to Calvary. We are very prone to forget the love of God. The suffering that the Lord Jesus went through on our behalf. And so this uh, art musician captured it well. It says, lead me to Calvary, lest I forget. I typically start with these qu- questions like this. I don't know why, but I think I know why as well. Part of it is I want to stay your mind to go back to read the Bible, to study the Bible. There's so much to learn from the scriptures. There was a time I thought I knew the scriptures, but I'm finding out there is still a lot of things that I don't, that I know surfacely, I don't know well enough. So there's always something to learn from the scriptures. I would have loved the questions to come in one at a time, but because this is PDF and uh, the PowerPoint is not in the regular format, all of them are coming in. So let's go for it. So I have the first one for you. Which miracles are recorded in all four Gospels? Feeding of the 5,000. Yes, that one is recorded. The 4,000, no. (laughs) So the five, sorry, I didn't hear. So you have to speak out. The mass doesn't allow... (laughs) Yeah. The woman at the well. Is that what he said? 
turning water into wine. Uh, so if I'm pausing, it means no. <laughs> it, no, that is not recorded in all four Gospels. So, feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four Gospels. The healing of Jairus' daughter. <laughs> so, you get the idea if I'm pausing. <laughs> the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, only two miracles are recorded in four, all four Gospels. The feeding of the 5,000 and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's good to pay attention to those because it must have had an impact on the life of the gospel writers. Those are the only two that are recorded in all four gospels. The resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. The point I wanted to make is that Jesus, before he went to trial, was a great miracle worker. It wasn't because he was incapable of causing wonders to happen, that he surrendered to be tried. He could have maybe asked the ground to open up and swallow up everybody that was trying him and then close it back and then you wouldn't even know they existed, but he didn't do that. All right, so that's the point. So how many trials did Jesus face on the way to the cross? We asked this the last time. And we asked this the last time, so be sure you know, that you remember. I'm just trying to make sure you remember what I said the last time. There's only one answer that is correct. Six. It has to be six. It has to be six. All right, and how long was the time between Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion? Eighteen hours, fifteen hours. I will say less than thirteen hours. Less than, less than. Twelve-ish, twelve-ish, maybe ten-ish, depending on where we are. But the point I'm trying to make is that he was arrested the night, and the following morning he was crucified. And the question is, where is justice? Right? We love justice, don't we? But the Lord Jesus was arrested the night around 12, midnight or 1-ish. By 9 o'clock the following morning, he was on the cross. All right. So all the trials took place within a very short window. That's all that happened. And this one didn't come up the last time. Who got what they did not deserve at Jesus' trial? Who? Barabbas. Barabbas got what he did not deserve. Great answer. Is it only Barabbas? Jesus himself. He took our place. So, now, this is the final one. Why did Jesus go through trials instead of going straight to the cross? And I think I have two answers that I want to point out here. Because it is written. That's a great answer. 
God is a just God. Yes, despise him. Because it is written. That gives me hope. If it is written, it means it's coming to pass. The Lord Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So two scriptures here. So remember on the night of the arrest, as they're about to arrest, one of Jesus' disciples pulled out his uh, sword and uh, you know, cut out the guy's ear. And Jesus said, ah, don't do that. So took the ear and put it back. I was telling my son, he said, you mean he really put it back just like that? I said, just like that. Just like that. He put it back. Yet he allowed himself to be arrested. Think about that. So, in John 18, verse 11, but Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? So it was God's cup of suffering. And he was willing to obey the will of God. And then, in this Luke chapter 18, 31 to 34, now he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all the things, all the things that have been written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. All of them, all the things written. What are some of the things? He said, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be ridiculed and abused and spit upon. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Look at that order. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. He will be ridiculed, will be abused and spit upon. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Now, if you knew that was going to happen to you, Will you still be going to Jerusalem? I will suggest that it was the love of God that compelled the Son of God to march on. And I will suggest it was his love for you and me that made that to be the case. So we mentioned the last time that there were six trials, uh, three religious trials by Ananias, the father-in-law of the high priest, by Caiaphas, the high priest, and then the Sanhedrin, or the uh, council. So, and the charge was blasphemy. And uh, two of the trials were held at night, and the verdict was rendered immediately. All of these were against Jewish laws. And... Um, the verdicts were rendered without following the procedures that they're supposed to follow. Uh, in terms of the youngest should vote first before the eldest, but I think they just said crucify him and then they set out to crucify him. And there were three civil trials by the Romans, Pilate, Herod, Pilate, and the charge was that he was causing riots and insurrection. And Pilate made it clear that Jesus was not guilty I find no cause to crucify this man, but notwithstanding, he rendered the verdict for him to be crucified. 
So from arrest to trial, it's less than nine hours. So trial number one. So I'm going to skip, 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 skip so that I can get to the next message, the next point. This was mentioned. So John 18, 12 to 24, there when he showed up before Ananias, he was asking him, what have you been teaching? Where have you been teaching? What message have you been giving? And this is what Jesus said. Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temples where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question as those who heard me? And of course, when he said that, one of the high priest uh, officers slapped him. And um, Jesus responded by saying, if I say anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you slapping me? This happened around 1 a.m. at night at Ananias' house. So that's trial number one. Trial number two. Matthew 26, 57 to 68 tells us it happens at the high priest's house, Caiaphas, around 3 a.m. So they brought false witnesses, and the false witnesses were accusing him of all kinds of things, yet their accusations did not uh, collaborate, so they, it was incoherent in some fashion. So, at, at, so the high priest stood up and then tore his clothes and says, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. This is what Jesus said. You have said it. And this is what you need to note. In the middle of his trial, he made this statement. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of glory or the clouds of heaven. Behold, he comes. He's already looking beyond what is going on because he's the master. He knows the future and knows that he's going back to heaven as the son of man and he will be coming back. So, of course, the soldiers, Caiaphas accused him of blasphemy and then abused him, slapped him and all of that. So trial number three, Jesus before the council. Around 6 a.m., that's what happened. So the council asked him again, tell us if you are the Messiah. And he said, if I tell you, you won't believe me, but from now on, the Son of Man, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. I am pretty sure when they heard him, they were saying, you don't know what they're saying. They probably thought he's out of his mind. But he was so confident in the middle of this trial, he already knew the end from the beginning and was declaring that he's in control. And he's only allowing them to execute this because he's allowing them. Like I said, if he wanted to ask the ground to open up to swallow them, that would have happened. He didn't do that. So, so once he said that, they asked him, are you claiming to be the son of God? He said, yeah, that is correct. And of course, they said, what for that need? They took him to Pilate, and Pilate was uh, going to you know, try him. Blasphemy dropped. It's before Pilate, around 6.30 a.m. And the charge, you can read that in Luke 23, 1 to 4, John 18, 28 to 38. The charges were that he was misleading the nation. He was forbidding paying taxes to Caesar. How could he have done that? The man who asked, the, who asked Peter to get to the fish, bring it out, open the mouth, bring money and pay tax. 
He said, render unto Caesar the things that is Caesar's. But yet they charge him as for being to pay taxes and that he claimed to be king. So Pilate asked him if he was king. He said, you say I'm a king. Actually, and I want you to know this, I was born. So why did Jesus, why was Jesus born and why did he come into the world? He answers, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. And so Pilate's response was, what is truth? He came into the world to testify to the truth. The word of God is truth. The spirit of God is truth. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is the way, the truth. So you cannot understand the truth or know the truth outside of the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he came, to testify to the truth. So Pilate turned to the leading priest and to the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. Then they became insistent. But he's causing riots by his teaching wherever he goes all over Judea from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, Pilate noted, he is a Galilean. I find nothing wrong. Maybe I should throw the case to Herod. That's what he, essentially what he said. Herod is the governor of Galilee. Let him take charge. So Pilate, when they said that he was, he was a Galilean, Pilate sent him to Herod because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction. So now Jesus is before Herod, trial number five. I'm moving very quickly, which is good. You're liking it. That means time is, is you know, I'm keeping step with time, but don't be so sure. <laughs> so, uh, so, when he showed up before Herod, this is what happened. Let's read this together so that you note. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus. Because he had heard about him and had been hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the teachers of religious laws stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. Silent as he stood accused. So Herod was glad to see him and ask him questions, but Jesus did not say a word. And of course, they dressed him up in a clownish robe, made fun of him, and then ridiculed him, and then finally sent him back to Pilate. So at trial number five, they mocked him and did all of that, but Jesus did not say a word. Truth. What is truth? 
Pilate asked. Let's read. Jesus said to Pilate, actually I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. I want you to know that the religious leaders willfully, they were willfully unconcerned with the truth. Because truth frustrated their personal agenda. Also, Herod was in, distracted by superficial pursuit. As far as he was concerned, truth was irrelevant. He didn't even bother to talk about it. And Pilate knew the truth. He was convinced of it, but he was terrified to admit or act on it because he was afraid he would lose favor. The slide is not showing very well because I do have a question at the bottom that says, what about you? What do you do with the truth? On a continuous basis, or maybe put differently, what do you do with Jesus and his word? How does it affect your life? Let's move on. The final trial, trial number six, Jesus before Pilate. So this happened around 7.30 a.m. Herod has sent Jesus back to Pilate, and so Jesus is before Pilate. Let's read. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Why did he ask this question? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. He understood that he had done nothing wrong. Just then as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him, crucify him. They didn't answer the question. Pilate saw that he, was getting, he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yell back, we will take responsibility for his death. We and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. Jesus was innocent. He knew that. 
He released Barabbas to them, but he did something else. He ordered Jesus flogged with a late tip whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Pay attention to these words. Some of the governor soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet rope on him. They wove thorns branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the rope and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Those are sobering words. In fact, the gospel writers do not even tell us the way they mocked him. Somebody was writing, as I was reading, said, soldiers can be quite cruel when they use a, like a, will I call it barracks words, terms, when, when they're mocking you. They probably, because they had stripped him and naked, they probably said things that the gospel writers felt, <laughs> let me use the word, inappropriate to put in. But these are the things that the Lord Jesus went through. So, we've read that Pilate released Barabbas and condemned Jesus. He released the man for whom they were asking who had been thrown into prison for a revolt and murder, but he handed over Jesus over to their will. So literally, what happened is that Jesus was a substitute for Barabbas. Three crosses were available that day. And I believe the third one was for Barabbas. Because prior to that day, Jesus had not come into the scene. The trial was just overnight. So they had three crosses to crucify three thieves. One of them must have been for Barabbas. But Barabbas got free. And Jesus got on the cross. So that was literal. It's also applicable to us that Jesus is our substitute. Not just for Barabbas, but for us as well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we are told, God met him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So it wasn't only Barabbas that was released. All who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are also released. They are also released from punishment from God. So it's symbolic in terms of Barabbas case, but the question I like to ask you is that, are you released 
Do you have freedom? Have you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to be your substitute? Because that is important. Not only that. Scotch, mocked, beaten, and whipped. I want us to read these verses again. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a late tip whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. I want you to think about this. Pilate says he's not guilty. I find nothing that he has done wrong. Yet he ordered him flogged. We talk about justice. We love to talk about justice and injustice. But then I, I want to frame it in the big picture that God was in control and God knew all this. So don't lose sight of that. He ordered him flogged. And I'd like to say something about the flogging as well, very briefly. Two types of flogging in ancient times, the Jewish flogging and the Romans flogging. You can read about the Jewish flogging in Deuteronomy chapter 25 from verse 1 to 3. They were not allowed to give more than 40 lashes. So there was a cap. But the Roman flogging had no limit. You were to flog and until sometimes the person becomes conscious. There was a professional flogger called the lictor. And the instruments that he used was something along these lines. See that? Something along those lines. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. So it wasn't just whip, but whip that had metal at the end so that when you deliver, you deliver it. So they were delivering it to him and he was taking it in. Remember his words, the cup of suffering that my father has given me, shall I not drink? I'd like to suggest to you that if Jesus had moved straight to the cross, we probably wouldn't have understood the suffering that he went through, probably have diminished it. But he went through this suffering so that we can see the picture of what he went through. Not only that, some of the governor soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him. That means they took off his clothes before they flogged him. And they put a scarlet rope on him. They wove thorns, branches into a crown. Crown. And put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick on his hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head. So they spit, they mocked him, Hell, King of the Jews, took the stick on the head. And they <laughs> made fun of him and then they continued. I watched this movie, uh, uh, The Passion of Christ. That was the only time I went to theater in almost my 30 years of stay in Halifax, the last time probably. And I came back, I came out of the place shaken, just seeing the suffering that the Lord Jesus went through, at least as depicted in that movie. So 
And notice this. It says, when they were finally tired of mocking him, they did it for as long as they wanted. He went through it on our behalf. So I just put in something there so that you get an idea of what this whip looked like. Leather tails with small metal balls or sheep bones at the end. It tore through skin, inflicting injuries to kidneys, liver, lungs, and could break ribs. And the crown of thorns was meant to go into, deep into the scalp, damaging nerves and blood vessels. The Lord Jesus went through all of this on our behalf. All right, so I've already said all of this. We will move on. How did he respond to all of this mistreatment? We are, it's not recorded that he complained. It's not recorded that he revolted. He went through it on our behalf. So why? We're almost done. Thank you for staying with me. Why? Why? That's the question we need to ask. Why? Let me suggest to you five points. Because it was the Father's will. His whole life was centered on fulfilling the will of the Father. He's the only man that ever lived and said, I fulfilled the will of the Father from the beginning to the end. We can see that in John chapter 18 from verse 10 to 11. Let me also suggest to you, because it was written, His mission in life was to fulfill the scriptures. All things that are written about the Son of Man must be accomplished. So I'd like to suggest to you, he was leaving out scripture. And I'd like to suggest to you that part of the reason why he went through all of this is to demonstrate his love towards us and the high cost of love. And also to demonstrate the depravity of man. The heart of man. The wickedness in the heart of man. And I'd like also to suggest that it's also to tell us something. That Jesus understands our suffering. And is able to give us strength in the midst of our suffering. You know, sometimes when you're going through difficult times and then somebody's talking to you, you say, ah, you don't know what I'm going through. You have no idea. That's why you're talking like that. None of that can be said of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is one of the few things that we share in common with him, suffering. But he went to the extreme end so that we will understand that when we are going through difficult times and hard times, he understands. And I also like to suggest to you as first Peter will say, that it was an example for us to follow. So that when we go through suffering and difficulty, even when we have done nothing wrong, he says, God is pleased 
when we don't revolt. I'm sure there are other reasons, but these are the ones I'd like to suggest to you. The Lord Jesus allowed himself to go through all of this to fulfill the Father's will, to ensure that scripture is accomplished, to demonstrate love and the cost of salvation, and to give us a picture that he understands our suffering. You know, we know that the wrath of God was poured on the Lord Jesus Christ, that the separation of the Father from the Son, the darkness that came over the earth, happened. We know that. But because we have never had a perfect union with God, it's difficult for us to grasp. But we can understand physical torture and pain and ridicule and mocking and taunting because we live in that world. He went through all of that so that we can see the suffering that he went through. So that's the reason why PowerPoints are good because they allow us to finish early. Our only response is to say thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for going through all of this for us. And my desire and prayer is that this will draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your circumstances, the Lord understands. He sees through it because he has gone through it. We do not have a high priest that cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Our response, we need to sing, and then we'll go home. See, uh, the PowerPoints are good, otherwise the preacher will keep drowning on. Let's pray.